Good evening, Rabbi Isai. Welcome back. It's a true pleasure and privilege to be here with all these wonderful Jews over here. Wonderful you didn't gather around the table for um, yet another Chumash and Shalant and gather around the table to enjoy yet another delicious, award-winning Shalant from our very own Rabbi Aronson. That's right. Three years in a row has won the Blue Ribbon in the Pennsylvania State Fair Shalant competition. That's right. Three blue ribbons, three gold medals. One year was bronze, but two years was gold. And Shkayich Rabbi Aronson, thank you very much. Hashem should bless you with, with blessings and endow you with endowments always. Um, so, um, and it's also, this is our last Chumash and Shalans of the season. Next week we're already going to be on Pesach, Pesach break. Um, we will resume after Pesach, so stay tuned for the announcements and the text, the WhatsApp uh, things will go out. But this is our last Chumash and Shant for the season, for the winter season. And then we're going to be breaking for Pesach and resuming for what we call Summer's Man, right? After Pesach, post-Pesach. So Vayikra, we're, all, we're going to be closing off the season, Winter's Man, with Vayikra. We're starting not just a new parsha, but a new book, the book of Leviticus. We begin Leviticus this week. That's the middle, Sefer, Vayikra, Tairas Kaihanim, uh, the very center of Kola Terakula. The center of the Torah, and it's very interesting that these subjects that you know the middle book, the, the, the very you know focal points and the fulcrum of the 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 the, the, the five books of Moses is all about sacrifices and these esoteric laws of purity and impurity and and different types of bodily conditions and that's the focus that seems to be like the Schmitz the center that's the Merkaz. Of the Torah, and as we pointed out in previous years, it doesn't even really belong over here. It's it's kind of um, a hiccup in the chronology of the Torah. Really, if you take a step back and you look at um, the Torah from a chronological perspective, the end of last week's parsha, which is the end of the book of Shemois, the end of Exodus, really goes directly into Bamidbar, into the book of Numbers. Chronologically, the end of the second book goes directly immediately into the end of the, the beginning of the fourth book. Um, that's the chronology. We we conclude Shemais last week with the construction of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and with Moshe speaking on Reish Chodesh Nisan early, just a few hours ago, right? The first day of Nisan, inaugurating the Mishkan. That's already in the end of Pekude. We talk about the inauguration of, of the tabernacle and the beginning of Bamidbar. That's where Bamidbar picks up the book of Numbers, which is going to be a whole book for now. Picks up with the the sacrifices, the the first twelve days, and all the Chieftains brought the Nasim brought it, it. It talks about um, it talks about uh, counting the Jews, which we did one after the the Mishkan, the tabernacle was erected. It talks about sanctifying the Levites. All these things happen immediately after Pekude. We take a whole break of Bayikra, which is just lots of halachas that could have been put at the beginning of the Torah, could have been put at the end of the Torah. Should be like an addendum, you know, like a, an appendix, additional um, laws. And regulations, you know, Appendix A. That's, that's what Vayik really should have been and could have been. And yet it breaks up the continuity of the entire Torah, which is a bit of a problem. Why did the Rebbe in fact, construct the Torah in such a way that the chronology is interrupted, not just momentarily, it's interrupted by an entire book which breaks up the story, breaks up the flow with all these very, very complex arcane, esoteric, and, and detailed laws about sacrifices, and, and there's so many details, and, 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 um, 
and uh, situations and discussions, bodily states and conditions, impurity and impurity. What? Why? Why this breakup? It, it, it's it's um, a non sequitur. It would seem. Why? Why is the Torah constructed in this way? Clearly, it is by choice, by design, not by accident. The Torah was written by the divine author himself, the God himself, and the structure, the order is is or the structure is such. So why? 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 Why is it? You know, we take it for granted. From a young, early age, from an early point in our career of, of Judaism, we're already used to the order of the Torah, the five books of, of Moshe. We kind of get used to it, but we have to take a step back and realize that there is something funny about the structure of the Torah. So the, 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 the idea that's going on over here is like this, and it's already presented in the Rishonim, the Ramban already says this, that um, it is certainly by design, not by accident, and with a very specific lesson and idea that we have this interruption of an entire book. And it's there to really be a, a, um, an immediate follow-up to where we concluded last week. The high, the thrilling climax, and the, the, the triumphant conclusion of the book of Shemos, of of uh, the book of of um, Exodus of last week's parsha the Chazak Chazak Venis Chazak such a stirring dramatic finale all of Vayikra is there to supplement that and to be a follow up to that and it's not an appendix if it would just be arcane laws and complex situations yeah it could be put all the way at the end but it's a follow up to like the final three psukim in Shemos what where does Shemos end Again, there's this triumphant conclusion that what? Kleisrael erects the tabernacle on the first day of Nisan, and the Pesach tells us already the end of Shemois, that the divine presence, as it were, comes to rest upon the tabernacle. They are bringing sacrifices. Hashem Shechin is there. Fire is coming down from heaven. And as the commentators tell us, this all represents and symbolizes that we have come full circle. We come full circle from our origins. We return to our roots. We return to where we came from. Where do we... Um, uh, come from what's the roots of 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 Yisrael, of the Jews? Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, the forefathers, right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where we began our illustrious, holy, and 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 um, pious leaders. They're the ones that that they're, they're they're the genetic source material for the entire Jewish nation. Avraham with his with acts of kindness, Yitzchak with his acts of restraint, and Yaakov with his with his truth seeking of truth, with his Torah, with his wisdom. Um, that's the triumvirate that creates all of Kleisrael. And at a certain time in history, we had, you know, Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, we had the 12 tribes. We are on, on that, that um, you know, pedestal of purity, still living with the, the forefathers, living by the forefathers, and, 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 and a, you know, a um, imprint of the forefathers. Then we go down to Egypt, right? We go down to Egypt. We're in Egypt for 210 long years, and we descend, and we descend, and we descend, and we descend, and we get into big trouble. We, we, we encounter assimilation. We become just like the Egyptians, and we're very far from our roots. We've drifted. We've strayed very far. God delivers us because God sees something that nobody else sees. God sees something that even Pharaoh doesn't see. Pharaoh, Pharaoh doesn't see. He sees Egyptians. God sees descendants of Amis and Jacob. Good, we're saved, we're delivered. We come out of Egypt, we climb 49 <coughs> days from our delivery 
till we get to Harsinai, 49 days of detox, of decompression, of purification. We receive the Torah, we build the tabernacle. The Shekhinah once again comes down to the tabernacle and we have returned to our roots. At that point in time, that the holy presence of God returns to the Jewish nation, accepts our sacrifices and the fire comes down, we've returned <laughs> to where we came from because as we're told, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three forefathers, they themselves were, so to speak, the tabernacle in their day. The Shekhinah, the Holy Presence, rested in their tents, rested in their midst. They were the bearers of the Shekhinah. Kleisro, through the tabernacle, through the Mishkan, we are bearing the Shekhinah again. So we return to our roots. We've come all the way back. We've come all the way back. That's amazing. That's beautiful. And that's the stirring, dramatic finale of where Shemais ends. Before, before the Chazak last week, we say, in the end of the Kudai, um, we created the Mishkan, we erected the tabernacle, God's fire is there by day, the clouds are there by day, I'm sorry, the fire is there by night. To the eyes of the Jews and all their travels through the desert, everyone saw it because we were the ones that that um, created that presence, allowed that presence to come into our midst. So we've come full circle. We descend and we arise and we come right back to where we were originally, that same stature, the level of Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. Okay. But now we have a problem. If we lost it once, we can lose it again. If we made a descent to Mitzrayim, to Egypt, we can descend again. There's no guarantees that we're not going to descend again. In fact, we probably will descend again. And if we fell away, if we drifted and deviated, from that stature of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we lost the right, we lost the privilege and the ability to be the throne of glory, as it were, for God himself, the bearers of the divine presence. We lost it once before, we can lose it again. So yeah, great. We have this climax over here, but there's a bit of an anticlimax when we take a step back and we think to ourselves like, okay, that's very nice, but we came full circle, but but um, we came back to our starting point. And, if we fell from our starting point once before, we can fall from our starting point again. So how do we make sure we hang on to the Mishkan? Are we going to have Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim again? Is God going to pluck us out of Egypt again? Is God going to make 10 plagues for us again? You know, in the last um, 2,500 years from Egypt, he hasn't, right? One. What? One, one, one plague, what, uh, coronavirus? Corona? That's the first one, right? That's the first we need one. nine more. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there's the Black Plague also. There's a whole bunch of things, right? So we got a couple. I think the Black, didn't the Black Death kill one-third of uh, one the world population? Yeah. Okay, anyway, so we've had things in the past, but but uh, that's not, that, that those, you know, we're talking about, you know, the ten Makkas, which were divine visitations, plagues that affected, you know, that you could draw a line, geographical line, we want this side of the line died, this side of the line didn't die, this side of the line were afflicted by by frogs Ocean. and boils and moraine, right? Whatever moraine is, but that's what the English that's how they translate devers, moraine, right? Um, that, that's not coronavirus and uh, you know Spanish flu and that stuff. But anyway, anyway. Um, anyway, uh, so here's the, this is this is the this is really where we any thinking person, any thinking Jew stops after the chazak, chazak, v'niz chazak, and asks himself, okay, that's great, we made it back, we made it, we returned to where we came from. But the same way we lost it once, we can also lose it again. We can lose all the, the power of the Mishkan, we can lose the glory of the Mishkan, we can lose everything that we gained from the Mishkan, and what's the guarantee that we're not going to lose it again? That's what Vayikra is there for. In walks Vayikra. Vayikra is there to provide the patch 
and the security and the insurance policy to the end of Shemais. And it's addressing the unspoken question, which is, God, but what's going to be if we fall again? Are you going to yank us out like you yanked us last time? Is there any guarantee? And the Rebbe says back, I'm not going to yank you out, but I can give you something better. Now that you have emerged and you've come full circle, you've come full circle to a new place. You actually haven't come full circle. You've come full spiral. And there's a difference between full circle and full spiral. Full circle, this is a circle. Everyone, this is a approximately a circle, okay? Full circle means I came exactly back to my starting point, right? And yeah, if we fell once, we can fall again, and we're going to go down to Egypt. Who says God's going to take us out of Egypt next time? But we didn't come full circle. You came full spiral. This is a spiral. Full spiral means we're tracing a circle, but we are going in a third dimension. We are going up as we trace that circle. We haven't just come back to our starting point. We've come to, back to our starting point in a higher level, a higher plane. What do we have now that we didn't have then? We have Tyra. We stood by Harsinai. We didn't have that the first time around. And we have a Mishkan. We have a tabernacle. We actually have a base Hashem. We have a house of God. We have instruments and, 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 and implements and items in that house of God that are access points to God. So we haven't come full circle. We've come full spiral. And says the Rebbe Yishalayim, Look, I've given you a Mishkan, and I've given you an access point to me through that Mishkan, and I'm going to give you a way of making sure that even if you falter and stumble and you begin to descend and decline, I'm going to give you a way out, and I can do that now that you've come full spiral and you have something that you don't haven't didn't have the first time around. And that's not just the Mishkan, because a Mishkan can come and go, but there's something that I've given you that you didn't get the first time around that doesn't come and go, and that's Torah. That is Torah. The fact that you stood by Arsenai and you accepted the Torah... That prized possession, which is the ultimate separation that divides and separates us from the Gentiles, from the rest of the world, the Torah, countries come and go, homelands, you know, languages, the Rishonim say already, Jews have a, 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 their own, our own language, but, you know, for many more years we haven't been speaking our own language than we have. We have a homeland, but so many millions of Jews don't live and haven't lived, we've been in exile for thousands of years. But what, what is a constant and constantly separates us from the Gentiles and elevates us is Torah. Torah is not location sensitive. It's not language sensitive. It's not time sensitive. The Holy Torah is accessible 24-7, 365, wherever we live, whatever language we're speaking. And within Torah, you will find the way out and the way up. And this is really what Vayikra is all about. Vayikra is telling us you may stumble and fall, but I'm going to give you Torah. I'm going to give you halachas about bringing sacrifices. And I'm going to give you Torah and halachas about purity and impurity. And when you have a mishkan, a tabernacle, or a base of mikdash or a temple, you'll apply this Torah in a practical, actual sense. You'll bring those sacrifices. And you'll observe the rules and laws of purity and impurity. You'll go to the mikvah and you'll bring those sacrifices that make purity. And that's how you'll get out of your descent and your decline. I don't need to take you out, says God. The first time you descended, I had to yank you out of Egypt because you didn't have Torah. You didn't have a temple to apply that Torah. Now you have something you didn't have before because you've gone in an upward spiral. You guys can get yourselves out. You can get yourselves out. How are you going to get yourself out of trouble? How are you going to maintain that full spiral, that, that climb if you sink? How are you going to climb back up again? Through Vayikra, through Sefer Vayikra, where you have all these seemingly esoteric, arcane laws of sacrificial laws and, and, and purity laws, 
And what the Rebbe is saying, what Hashem is saying is, this is not just a collection of obscure laws and rituals and regulations. This is the way out. And this is the way back up again. When you have a temple and you have a tabernacle, apply these laws and bring these sacrifices and bring the karbanas. And when you don't have a temple, learn about these halachas. Learn them. Study them. Oh, take down the Talmud, take down a Gemara, Meseches Zvachim, Meseches Menachas, take down the Gemaras that discuss the laws of the ritual sacrifices, and that also elevates you, that also brings you back up again. So what an amazing idea. What a beautiful idea. Yes, the chronology is majorly interrupted over here. The story, the flow is, 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 is drastically just like, like comes to an abrupt halt, like we hit a wall. You know, we have the story that ends in the Shemais and continues in Bamidbar in the book of Numbers, and we have a whole book of Leviticus in the middle that breaks it up, but it's not a breakup, it's preservation. It's telling us you, we have returned to where we came from. We came full circle to the stature of the forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Yaakov. But what's going to be if we fall in the future and falter in the future? Says the Rebbeisham, I can give you something now that you didn't have till now, and let me give you the supplement, let me give you the antidote, let me give you the insurance policy, let me give you the way out, and this is the guarantee for eternity as to how you'll get out of trouble next time. I don't need to get you out of trouble next time. You guys can get yourselves out of trouble next time, and that's the book of Leviticus. And 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 again, that's either through applying that Torah, when we have a Beis HaMikdash, bringing those sacrifices, observing the acts of purity and purity, or just learning about it, learning about it, achieves and affects the same act of repair and restoration and restitution and rectification. So learning about it does it. And it's interesting that by sacrificial law, this is the one place where our sages speak out that if you learn about a carbon, it's like you brought a carbon. They don't say that if you learn about the lulav, it's like you shook a lulav. If I learn about the shofar, it's like I blew a shofar. If I learn about hamantash, it's like I ate a hamantash. They don't say that anywhere. But when it comes to karbanas, the sacrifices, it says, you learn about these halachas, it's like you brought the karbanas. And that is Leviticus, that is the book of Ayikra, coming to be that backup to the, the peak that we've reached at the end of Shabbos. I'm going to give you something that, that you couldn't have till now in your first loop, because you didn't have Torah yet. Now that you have Torah, and you've gone up in that spire, you stood at Harsinai, you guys all stood at Mount Sinai, and you accept the Torah. Now you yourselves have the solution. You yourselves can get out of trouble. The first time around, I needed to rescue you from Egypt. Now you guys can rescue yourselves. You can rescue yourselves by bringing sacrifices and by learning about sacrifices, okay? So that's what Vayikra is. Vayikra is the patch to Shemais. It is the supplement to Shemais. It's not at all an appendix, um, a book, a collection of laws. It's how to maintain and hang on to the holy temple, the holy tabernacle, and to our holy state of having rejoined our original stature of the forefathers. Okay, that's a nice idea. Let's uh, speak out another idea here on the Parsha. So yes, it's Vayikra, it's all about Karbanas. And there's four main kinds of Karbanas that we have over here. Four main kinds of sacrifices. And there's sub-sacrifices as well. But but when we take stock of all the different various Karbanas, there's four main Karbanas. So who wants to venture a guess? What, what are the four main Karbanas that we have? Tell me. So a tamid is a type of a carbon. A tamid is uh, is not a category. A tamid, okay. yeah, a tamid is. I'm sorry, is not a type. Um, There's peace a, a tamid is a is a um, a specific um, commandment 
to bring um, a, a specific command on the, twice a day to bring one of the four, but a tummit is still one of the four. It's not, it lines up, like no, 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 four different kind With categories. Asham is one, very deal, good. Sin offering. Sin offering, that's the chatas. Right. Very good. Peace offering. Shlamim, the peace offering, excellent. And there's the fourth, what the tummit is. The only one that hasn't been mentioned is the one that the tummit is. Ayla, a burnt offering, okay? There's four main kinds of sacrifice. What? Completely burnt. Completely burnt, that's right. And Gansen. Firebrent and Gansen. Okay. So, the, um, the, uh, Samuel Adams winter, winter lager. I believe that's what you're drinking. Chaim. Um, it's whatever it is. It's not All bad, you know. Even, that's coming from someone who doesn't really particularly enjoy beer so much. Yeah, so let's go through it again. Oila shlamim asham chatos, and we arrange it that way because the first two could be brought on a voluntary basis. The second two can only be brought if you did something wrong. The oila is a sacrifice that's burdened completely to God. No, no one gets anything from that. The shlamim is. Um, Part of it is burnt on the Zvech, part of it is eaten by the Kohen, and part of it is eaten by the person that brought it. Excuse me. The Asham and the Chatas are brought for, for different sins. The Asham is brought for, uh, it's called a guilt offering, I think that was a Herschel, you said that? Guilt offering yeah. is brought for some minor sins, and the Chatas is brought for major sins. Any sin that comes with the punishment of Kares, the Chiv Kares, which is spiritual premature death, premature death spiritual excision, spiritual severance, Premature death, that's what you bring a chatas for. Chatas is an atonement for that. The tamid is a type of oila. So Dover mentioned the carbon tamid, the daily offering. That was a type of oila. It was burnt entirely on the Mizbech. We, we call it the tamid because it was, you know, uh, we needed to bring it twice a day, but it's really just a type of an oila. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The carbon pesach is not really a fifth kind of carbon. Carbon pesach, which is coming up soon, that belongs to the shlaman family. It's like a sub category within the shlaman. It's. Um, so let's. I want to talk about one of them specifically. That's the Shlomim. And I think we just heard Shlomo, our very own Shlomo Steve, give a translation. How did you say the Shlomim? You translated it as the? Peace offering. The peace offering. The peace offering. Interesting mm-hmm. translation. What, what's the carbon Shlomim? Again, the Shlomim is a voluntary sacrifice. I, I want to bring something to bring me close to God, so I bring the sacrifice. Um, part, of it, part of every sacrifice always gets burnt on the altar. So part of the meats and the fats goes on the altar to God. Part of it is given to the Kohen who, who was on duty. And part of it goes to the bearer, the one that brought the carbon. I eat some meat, he eats some meat, and, and, and so to be God, as it were, the Mizbeach, the altar gets meat, uh, meats and fats. We call it a shlamim, which Shlomo is translating as a peace offering because shlamim is just is plural of shalom. Shalom, 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 which means peace. So the carbon shlamim is translated as the peace offering. But let's ask a couple of questions. A, what does this carbon have to do with peace? 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 It's the peace, P-E-A-C-E kind of peace, not P-I-E-C-E peace. It's the peace, like peace, like shalom, shalom, peace. Uh, what does the carbon have to do with peace? If anything, I would think that the chatas is bringing peace, because the chatas is an atonement, right? Until we have an atonement, there's chaos. After you bring the atonement, there's peace. After I get rid of my car, there's peace. And second of all, it really should be called pieces, not peace. Again, but pieces, P-E-A-C-E-S, not P-I-E-C-E-S. Pieces, because it's plural, shlamim. It's not shalom, it's shlamim. 
which is the plural of peace. So Rashi really picks up on this. And Rashi says, why is the carbon shlamim called a shlamim? Why is this peace offering called a shlamim? And Rashi is asking on the on the pluralization of the word shlamim. Shalom is shlamim. So Rashi says that the carbon shlamim brings peace, shalom, to three different parties. It brings peace to the owner, the person that brought it. There's peace for the Kohen, and peace for the Mizbech, for the altar. This is a shalom, three, all around the shalom, a full round of shalom, shalom for, for all parties. But this is very strange, because, again, we're talking about peace, P-E-A-C-E, not P-I-E-C-E. If this would be peace, P-I-E-C-E, then yeah, everyone gets a piece of the pie, right? That makes sense. A piece for me, a piece for you, and a piece for God. But that's not the piece that we're talking about. We're talking about shalom peace. P-E-A-C-E peace. Pacification peace. Pacification peace. What does getting meat have to do with peace? <coughs> the shalom peace. I got a, you know, steak. The Cohen gets a steak, and God gets a steak. So... We all have shalom, we all have peace, we all have shalom. Why does that create peace? Again, peace, we would think, is when I get an atonement, we would associate peace, the concept of peace, with, with the sin offerings. What does it have to do with the shalom offering, which A, is brought on a voluntary basis, and B, is just the meat is distributed all around. Why is that equated with creating peace? Shalom, shalom. Everyone hear the question? So the truth is the Torah and Rashi are really giving us a very deep insight into what shalom really is. Shalom. Shalom, which means we translate that as peace, making peace. We talk about the concept of shalom malchus, shalom medinas. We talk about the concept of having peace in the countryside. Chazal talk about shalom malchus, that a person should always pray for the welfare, not just the welfare, for the peace, tranquility of the country that he lives in, that there should be shalom between my country and my neighboring countries, there should be shalom within the country. And in Pirkei Avos, Chazal tells us we have to pray for the, the tranquility of our country. There shouldn't be anarchy. The worst thing a country can have is, is anarchy. And we want there to be anarchy. We don't want there, we want there to be peace within and peace without. There shouldn't be anarchy within our country. There shouldn't be strife at our borders with our neighboring countries. But there's different kinds of peace, Rabbi. I mean, Rashi talks about two specific kinds of peace. Is it what you're getting getting at? Perhaps, perhaps. Mm. Could be we're on the same wavelength right now. I wouldn't be surprised. So what we need to do is talk a little bit about peace, what peace really is. And Rashi says yes, as Shalom because by getting meat, all parties have peace. But we're trying to wrap our heads around that. Why is having a steak supper what does that have to do with peace? So again, what we have to build up is like this. What what really is peace? Let's ask that better. What's shalom? The Torah talks about shalom. Shalom we generally translate as peace. But shalom doesn't really mean peace in the conventional sense. What does peace mean in the conventional sense? We talk about a peace treaty between two countries. A peace treaty generally means what? We agree to stop killing each other. Right? Till now we were killing each other. We agree to stop killing each other. That's really, that's what we call that peace, like the Peace Corps. The Peace Corps is there to make sure people don't kill other people. It's there to, to um, you know, the to, 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 um, to um, mediate conflicts between two different parties, different countries. Um, but that's not really peace as much as that's a truce, a truce, a ceasefire. <clears throat> when two countries observe a ceasefire, 
all that really happened is that they just agreed to stop killing each other, but that's not shalom. Shalom doesn't mean not fighting. Conventionally, that's how we translate in our heads, and that's how we translate it in our mouths, with our mouths. That Shalom means not fighting. You know? Nish Saharganen. Nish Saharganen. We don't kill each other anymore. That's not what Shalom is. Shalom has to go beyond that. Shalom is not only when we have a truce, not only when there's a ceasefire, Shalom is when we can take a step back and we see what was it that set us at odds with each other to begin with. Why were we in conflict? Why were we killing each other? What was the underlying source of conflict? And to realize there really isn't any conflict. To realize that there aren't really two parties, there's really only one party. There's really only one party. There's no conflict, there's no strife. What we call peace, and certainly what's called a truce, a ceasefire, there's still two parties, they still really hate each other, and they really want to kill each other, but we convince them to stop killing each other. But there are two opposing parties. Everybody understand? Two vehemently opposing parties, vociferously opposing parties, viciously opposing parties, but we convince them to stop firing missiles at one another. That's not shalom, because we still have two opposing parties that are in conflict. They just have agreed to a ceasefire. Shalom is where there's no more conflict anymore. How do you create such a state? How do you effect that this, pull this off, there's no conflict? By showing them that they're not really two parties, that they're really one party. They're really one and the same. They're really united. They're really united in the common goal. They're really united towards some greater good. And, and you can show them that all, although it looks like there's a conflict, although it looks like there's tension and conflict between two opposites, really these two opposites can be synthesized into one. They really aren't two opposites. So, that, and, and that's really what shalom is. The, the Jews and the Arabs have never had shalom. They've never had peace, and they never will have peace. The best we can ever hope for the Arabs and Jews is to have a, a truce, a ceasefire. But they're never, there's never going to be peace because they are fundamentally opposed to one another. The Arabs believe that the Jews must vanish into the sea. Now, once in a while you can convince them to have a ceasefire. Once in a while you can convince them to stop firing missiles, but you're never going to overcome that gap, that conflict. There are always going to be two opposite and opposing parties, always. There's nothing ever that links those two parties into one that synthesizes them harmoniously into one, and that's what you need for Shalom. And there's a lot of proofs of this, we find so many proofs in so many different places. We had, we're having, coming up in, 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 in Pesach again, the Makos, we had this in Shamos, that one of the Makos was Barad, right? Hail. Hail. Um, <coughs> and what was the, what was the hail that came down in Mitzrayim, in Egypt? Fire and water. Fire and ice mixed together, yeah. right? And they, they complemented each other. They complement each other. Now, normally, one of the two is that's right. Now, Herschel knows where this is going. Either the fire uh, evaporates the water, or the water extinguishes the fire. Right? You can't. Uh, fire and ice can't coexist, but they came down in coexistence. And what does Rashi say over there? Rashi, in Parshas um, Vaera, says that normally, fire and water are sworn opposites, sworn enemies. But to do the will of God, they made shalom, says Rashi. They made shalom. They made shalom. So this is such a beautiful insight to what shalom really is. Shalom means that although it looks like I'm in conflict with you, and it looks like you're in conflict with me, it looks like we are in opposition to one another, when we're united for a greater common goal, there really isn't any opposition, there really isn't any conflict. We can raise ourselves to a higher plane where we're doing the will of God, we can transcend that conflict, there really is no conflict up there. When we're united to do the will of God, there's no conflict. Shalom is really balancing two 
opposing poles and showing everyone that there really isn't any opposition. That's what Shalom is. Everybody understand? We talk about marital harmony. In the, we use the term Shalom bias. When a husband and wife are getting along, that's called Shalom bias. Shalom bias. Why Shalom bias? Because the ultimate goal of marital harmony is not that they're just not fighting. Like a good marriage counselor, a good marriage counselor will convince the husband and wife to have a ceasefire, a truce. They stop firing missiles or whatever, but they're really still in conflict. That's a good marriage counselor. An excellent marriage counselor will show them there's no conflict. That there's a common goal that really unites both of you to take you to a common place and a common goal. That's what Shalom really is. That's real Shalom bias. And back to the carbon Shalom. Why do we call the Shalom? Because we have inherently in the carbon Shalom is conflicts, conflicting elements. What do we have in the Shalom that's in, in conflict? The Mizbeach eating and me eating. And these are really two opposing concepts. Because we're in life, we're used to the concept of servitude of God. We, we'll give God, we'll open up our pocket, take out the checkbook, we'll write out checks. You say, Rabbi, you tell me where to make that check out to. I'll give, I'll give, I'll give, I'll give. I'm giving to God. It hurts, but I'll give, I'll give. I'll give a sacrifice to God. That's that's godly. I'll buy a lulav and esrik for God. That's not for me, that's for God. I'll light a menorah for God. I'll, 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 I'll spend money on matzah. Expensive. Pesach is an expensive time of year. I'll do it for God. If it wasn't for God, I wouldn't do this. That is servitude of God. That's God stuff. That's a carbon oil. But then there's another um, extreme where we are taking care of ourselves, indulging in myself. And that's what I do for myself, eating, drinking, enjoying life. And we're used to thinking that, you know, it's one or the other. There's either a spirituality, bonding with God, giving to God, which is all spiritual, and uh, it's all about asceticism, not not indulging, nothing for myself. And then there's my own life, my hedonism, my physical life, my pleasures, my indulgences, but you have to you decide, you know, what am I doing today? You know, on Tuesday, it's going to be a spiritual day. Wednesday, it's going to be, you know, the party, party day. And we're trained to think that, you know, these are two opposites, and they can't be blended, they're in conflict with one another. The Karma Shalom shows us is no, they look like they're in conflict, but when you unite them for one common goal, you can actually have a physical pursuit, a physical indulgence. Eating itself can become godly. Eating can be godly. I can have a carbon that God gets part of the meat, the coin gets part of the meat, and I eat part of the meat, and that's the sacrifice itself. The sacrifice commands and demands that I also eat from the sacrifice. And that sacrifice we call a shlomim. There's peace for everyone because the lesson is shalom, that we can take two opposing kinds of things that seem to be in conflict with one another, and we show uh, we we are able to be shown that my eating can really be godly. My eating can be a spiritual pursuit. I can eat, but that doesn't put me at odds with God. I can eat this delicious barbecued meat. And Mesa Mikdash was barbecued all around the clock. They were barbecuing, they're making barbecues all the time, right? I can enjoy this delicious grilled barbecued steak, and that can be godly. That's the lesson of the carbon shlamim. That physical pursuits don't have to be an inherent conflict with godliness, inherent conflict with with spiritual matters you can be involved in the physical and elevate the physical itself and that can be a spiritual matter and that is the lesson of the carbon shlamim that's why it's shalom all around and that's the beautiful lesson of peace and that's the shalom that we can that we include this week's and the, the seasons chumash and shalom uh share with thank you all for joining and on that note of shalom shabbos shalom everyone shabbos shalom we should have a beautiful shabbos of peace and beauty and Mr. Shem, looking forward to getting back together after Pesach to resume the Chumash and Shalom Shir. Thank you very much, everyone. A good night.